Okay, welcome to Gothcast, episode 13. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about, yet again, The Cure. Yeah, so this is part three of our discussions on The Cure's albums. Yep. So this time we're going to tackle Wish, Wild Mood Swings, Blood Flowers, and The Cure, the 2004 album. Yep. Yeah, so this is really where people say The the Cure started to go downhill. Yeah. And so where many people stop keeping up with them. Which um, is funny, because ironically, this is where they receive the most critical uh well, like, most people, attention <laughs> most people would include the the first album that we're going to talk about wish most people would still include that in like the classic kind of cure uh, albums i do my, yeah. myself personally yeah and um it's really not until wild mood swings that we see where most people say that this is the decline of the cure for most people um, but we're gonna get to all that after yeah this. all right so wish so it's 1992 yep and Wish comes out and it's definitely a departure, you know, from disintegration. It is. It's funny. Wikipedia describes it as being a continuation of disintegration, which I don't see at all. That being said, I have a lot of nostalgia for this album because this was the first Cure album I ever heard. Yeah. And this is what got me to want to listen to The Cure. And this was what got me listening to other Cure songs besides Friday, I'm in Love and mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And I really do think that the first half of this album is really strong. Yeah. But I feel like it does take a little bit of a dip after Friday, I'm in Love. I actually disagree with that. I actually think this album has a lot of good songs spaced throughout it. I will say that, yeah, there are some cuts that I just am not the biggest fan of, but I still think this is a pretty strong album for what it was going for. No, I agree. For me, I feel like the first half is the strongest half of the album, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that there aren't good songs on the second half of the album for me. Yeah. But for me, on the second half of the album, that's where I started noticing, you know, like a song here or there where I'd be like, ah, well, I don't know if I like that one as much or if that should have made the cut for the album. Okay. Yeah. So... For this one, the first thing you notice right off the bat is, at least after this initial song, Open, is... Yeah, what an interesting opening title. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Open. Um, but it is a slightly happier cure. It is. You know, what we got with Disintegration was, you know, a very, like a combination of kind of albums like The Head on the Door and like the Gothic trilogy. Yep. With this one, there's less of the Gothic influence that immediately to hear and much more of kind of like an alternative rock influence where... It's yeah, kind of back to that pop formula. It feels very much more straightforward post-punk kind of material. Yeah. That, well, and I, I'm not really sure straightforward is the word, yeah. but uh, definitely more pop-oriented post-punk. Well, the thing I would compare it to is actually the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, in that it's kind of like that album, but it is kind of a more like of a '90s album. influence. Yeah, that's actually the album that this reminds me of the most from yeah. their career is Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. But yeah, it definitely has a much more 90s production value to it. And you can hear it in the arrangements. Mm-hmm. And Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me has some darker moments on it than this album does. It does. I, I think that the point of this album was to kind of distance it a little bit from Disintegration. Because Disintegration was this big, gigantic, mopey epic. Yep. And it's what a lot of people loved. And for Wish... It's still kind of like mopey and kind of like insensibility. Like when you actually look at the lyrics and you kind of actually listen to what he's saying but in terms of like sonically and dynamically it's like a much more major keyed album so it's, oh, definitely. it's a much happier sounding pretty much going to see the majority of these songs written in major keys yeah so i mean even the singles off this so it's like high 
Friday I'm in Love, A Letter to Elise. Like those, yeah, all they're very happy sounding songs. They are slowed down a bit, so they kind of have that yeah. kind of cure sound to them. But it's definitely not what we were hearing just an album ago. No, definitely not. Uh, it's definitely a new direction for them. But they do again still take some risks on this album. Oh, like, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely a weird song for them, but I kind of like Wendy Time, and it's definitely yeah. uh, it's definitely not a standard uh, song for The Cure. No, no, it's <laughs> not. In fact, like the closest thing it gets for most of these songs is kind of like the the guitar sound. Yeah, the, that's going to be the most common thing that you're going to see here is relating it to their other music. But it's just hard to say. even like doing the unstuck. It's okay, but like yeah, it's I just wasn't a big fan of that song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But um, like songs like Apart and, and Open and Trust, they you know they still really have a line to what they've been doing before. Even yeah. like the pianos and the keyboards and stuff. Definitely. This is still a pretty heavy keyboard album. And the guitars are still jangly. In fact, the bass is a little less played yeah. in, in this one. Like I said, it's much more like an alternative rock. So the guitars are pushed a lot more forward and the yeah. vocals. You're going to hear the bass push back, which is less common for uh, you know goth-oriented stuff. Usually, goth albums kind of have bass push forward. Yeah, you still have Boris Williams. Like it's basically the same lineup from Disintegration. Basically, the key players for it. So you still have Paul Thompson, Boris Williams, Simon Gallup, and Robert Smith, and that's like the most important people you can have for this. Why yeah. it does have a similar sound to well, Disintegration. This is kind of the last album that we're gonna yeah. see that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I guess we can talk about the most popular song on this album just to kind of get out of the way. Yep. And it's, Gonna be Friday I'm in love. Yep. So this is a smash hit for the cure. Yeah. And secures this album as their most successful album to date. This yep. is their best selling album. Yeah. Period. Bar none. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. This song is used in so many movies, in so many shows, in references. Like people can just put even people who aren't even in the cure, they you know, if you're on social media and stuff, you see like the jokes of like yep. the days of the week yeah, and it yeah, shows yeah. like what's happening. And like the lyrics of the song. So it just is like a part of pop culture. Like it was so big. Oh, definitely. It's so hard to say because a lot of people would say that this is where like, oh, like this is where The Cure sold out. This is where like, oh, I couldn't listen to The Cure anymore because it's so different than their stuff. Honestly, I mean, we've been doing these episodes, you know, like well over an hour long episode talking about each of these albums. And after listening to their previous albums, I, mean, I don't see this as much of a jump. I don't either, really. And yeah. that's why I'm surprised that so many people will see this as a sellout album and that this receives so much bash from hardcore fans. I don't get it, you know? It, I mean, if you listen to a lot of the songs that like Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, they're extremely poppy. They yeah. are, I mean, you know, do 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 Friday doo, I'm doo, in doo. Love feels like it belongs on that album. It like, really does. Yeah. And so I think people have this huge disconnect because probably a lot of people came in and started listening to The Cure at around, you know, Disintegration because that was so big. And it yeah. still is the goth album of today. Like most people in the gothic subculture listen to that album like first over any other album or maybe like Head on the Door or something. But, or, or well, I guess pornography and stuff. Other, yep. than, other than what seems way more obvious. But I guess in terms of like the most poppy ones, uh, yeah. Disintegration will be the most accessible one most people and they probably listen to Wish thinking like, oh man, you know, the next album, like this is probably really good. Yep. And they say, oh, like this is so much more poppy or anything. But probably not knowing that a few years ago they had done a ton of pop songs. Yeah. And, and Disintegration was almost more of a departure from their sound than this album is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it? That, yeah, that's a good point. 
it just basically was moving more and more towards pop, and then it's and disintegration. Then disintegration came out of nowhere. And yeah, just like... it's basically the most accessible, poppiest songs about being really, really sad and depressed. <laughs> and then Wish is basically the next album where it kind of reverted them back a little bit, but kept the kind of dynamics that disintegration had. Yeah. So yeah, I can see why people are pissed, and, and the videos don't do any yeah help to this. So it's just you know, yeah, they're pretty. They look pretty happy. So, <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of people were probably familiar with the image of Disintegration and, you know, Fascination Street and Lullaby and everything. Yeah. And they see Robert Smith with shorter hair and, yep. you know, looking a lot happier and wearing white clothing and, you know, kind of getting up there and smiling while he's doing this stuff. And it probably turned a lot of people off and maybe just, like, instilled some rage in them. Probably. So see the angry '90s goths being rising up against this album. Yeah, I could totally see that. You know, because this was it was so successful too. Like, yep. if anything is that successful, you're gonna have a lot of people, especially fans who are were in the band previously, who are gonna just hate it. Yeah, um, you know, it's something I actually think about often because we can look back at these albums objectively because we did not grow up as they came out. Mm-hmm. You know, with the exception of these later albums. Yeah. These all pretty much came out before we were born. So we can listen back and listen to them as if it's all just being released to us now and listen to it as a collective whole. And you can really take an objective viewpoint of what these albums are like. Yeah. But I think about music artists now that we listen to, and I know oftentimes I get upset when a band departs from their sound on something. And I think about whether or not that's fair Mm -hmm. because perhaps it's a good album and i'm just too close to it to tell yeah and i think that that may have been the case for this album probably the other single at least the one i like the most so the other singles were high and then of course the letter to elise high again has a very extremely bright and happy video has like them singing on top of like like a tower or something like that and it's all bright and sunny again i can see why a lot of people have an issue with it and then of course the letter to elise that is one of my favorite songs on this album. I know it's a single. I know it's not cool to pick the singles to like. Oh, that's one of my favorite songs of this album. It's so good. <laughs> uh, and it's been covered a million times by yep. a ton of different bands. Hey, I feel like you're allowed to like that as the favorite song because Friday I'm in Love is the main single. Oh, good. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Friday I'm in Love is a little played out, obviously. Yeah, unfortunately, it is a good song, but it gets so overplayed on the radio. It does. Well, not even on the radio. I mean, it's in movies and stuff. You know, it'd be like, they're in love or the end, you know, like a cheesy romantic comedy or something like that. It's just like so annoying. Every indie quirky movie has to like throw that song in there. You know. Exactly. (laughs) But other songs I like other than the singles and I really like open the opener (laughs) and also like end. So I like open and end. And I think they're both really good songs. And I especially like N for the way it just progresses. I just really like it. Yeah, open and end, a letter to Elise. I like trust, and hey, I, I'm allowed to like trust, okay. Yeah, okay, mm. sure. Mm. I'll allow it, I'll allow it. <laughs> and I just have a weird fascination with how strange Wendy time is. Oh, okay. I like. I keep listening to it, and I'm like, this, yeah. is, uh, this is an interesting song. I also, <laughs> I also really like cut on this and one thing i want to mention about these songs is they aren't necessarily the most i'm trying to think of a way to put it. they're not like epics you know they don't change like a dramatic amount throughout yeah. the, the song but they are extremely long they are um, so this is where we're getting like basically the only songs that 
are under like five minutes on this album are the singles. Yep. Which is really funny because pretty much everything else is like four to five to six minutes long. I just think that's pretty funny that they were like, okay, you know, these are like the songs where we get to do this crazy stuff. Here are the singles. Like, yep. And so you have like three of them. Well, and here you kind of start to see that shift in the recording format for labels mm-hmm. as music gets produced in the 90s and into the 2000s yeah. where bands kind of stop making albums and then choosing singles, but mm-hmm. instead they almost write singles for albums. Yeah, that's true. You know, with the way this album's paced, yeah. you almost kind of feel that yeah. way. And it kind of sucks that it, I have to say that, but it does. It kind of sticks out that like, you have these really kind of longer form songs with doing a lot more with guitars and a little, and definitely a lot more with lyrics, like in terms of kind of spacing them out or being a little more creative with them. And you have these three songs in here that are very straightforward, yeah, very poppy songs that clock in at under four minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> that, of course, is totally understandable and of the time. But yeah, it is noticeable. One thing I did want to talk about with this is the album art because I know we always talk about it for the cure. Yep. Never been a biggest fan of this particular album art. Yeah, it, it's a weird one for them. Yeah. And in a weird way, it also kind of reminds me of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Oh, right, because the reds and stuff. Yep. But Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was better. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I don't know. I just, I never really liked that scribble thing. Yeah, I don't either. So, or it, that, whatever the hell that blue mass of dust and cloud stuff is in the middle i i don't know what that is yeah i don't know <laughs> and it's super 90s you know yeah like, but that's kind of what this was you know this was released you know a year before this nirvana had really broken out and all the alternative rock stuff was coming in and this is like it's funny because it's like a lot of people tend to associate the cure with the 80s yep and think that that was like their time but 92 is like their biggest thing i mean if you look at even videos from them they're playing arenas right around this time and they were big i mean they were headlining how this is when they were the most successful it may not have been when their best albums came out but this was the peak of their commercial success exactly i'll put okay i'll put it this way if you would ask me about wish probably like two three years ago right yeah i would have said you know that's one of the the better cure albums you know that this definitely like one of the highlights of you know the top cure albums Maybe like I probably would have said like maybe like the Gothic trilogy and probably like for their later albums I probably would have said like Disintegration, Wish, and I don't know maybe like Blood Flowers or something I don't know something like out there right yeah after listening to all these really in depth having to do this podcast I really have to say like I think this is actually one of the weaker albums uh it is but I don't think it's nearly as weak as some of the stuff we're going to see to come. No, I, I know. I was yeah. just saying that it, and for what's considered one of their best albums and yeah. what is their most commercially successful yeah. album. It is surprising. Yeah. You know, because I think while we had some problems with The Head on the Door, right? It's And that's a little bit spotty in some of its composition. Yeah. Wish is not another top. Like, yeah, no. The the top was a, yeah. a horrendous mistake. Yeah. You listen to our <laughs> previous episode if you want to. I think it's like. Uh, part one there's there's one beautiful song on there no it's not part it's part two actually i think yeah um but well top has its bigger issues i felt like every other album other than top and like three imaginary boys was actually a stronger album than this one this one it kind of takes a lot of elements of what they'd already done yeah and just kind of repackages it a little bit no i'll agree with you on that it's definitely not a bad album but no i hate saying this but i kind of feel like it's a little bit of a lazy album for them I can kind of agree with that. 
Yeah. Um, it, like I said, just because there is a lot of stuff that's already been done and is just kind of a combination of that stuff. You know, it's not a bad album. It isn't in any way. No. And I actually have a lot of love for this album just because, you yeah. know, it's my, fur- it's my first Cure album ah, ever. I put it on too. Like, yep. you know, if we're talking about this in terms of, you know, their whole catalog of albums, I do think it, it ended up being one of their kind of like, eh, kind of like mediocre album. It doesn't stand out as being a terrible album. It's just kind of one that I feel like gets pushed the wayside by much better albums. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to say this again with the idea that, you know, if you love this album and, you know, I, I used to listen to album like every day. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, <laughs> but it, it is like, you know, I just find myself nowadays listening to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me over it because it reminds me of that. But I feel like Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me has much more energy. I agree. It's a lot stronger. You can just feel like the kind of passion they had in writing those songs and they're a little bit more playful. Yep. Whereas this one, it does feel a little bit more like by the numbers for what they have been doing. I would agree with that. So, yeah, I get why it's successful. You know, they had a formula. They really, really had refined it by this point. They did. And that's probably why it was so successful. And you know what? They deserve to make, you know, a little money. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I, I'm totally not against them earning yeah. earning the millions of dollars. In fact, I have nothing against them becoming big at this point. I don't think that takes away from the album at all. No, I don't think so at all. But I do think that, like, the songwriting was kind of streamlined by this point. Yeah, I agree. So, that's Wish. You probably heard it, but if, in case yeah. you haven't, <laughs> go listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's get a new segment for this episode. And this is one that I think is really important to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And this is a very timely topic. Yeah, and so many people may not remember, but because I think it was a few years ago, I think it was about 2007 or 2008, there was a gothic couple that was brutally attacked yep. by a group of guys. And the girl was murdered. Her name was Sophie Lancaster. And they were just attacked because they were dressed goth. Yeah. And, I mean, it's brutal. I mean, absolutely ridiculously violent crime that was put against them. And I know we don't usually have, like, a lot of really somber things to talk about on here. But there's something that definitely needs to be addressed. No, Um, definitely. Um, Unfortunately, because the gothic subculture is one that is not as exposed as other subcultures and one that's more feared because of social stigmas and things like that. And, and perhaps some of the androgyny that's involved in goth makes some people uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, just the way people dress in general scares a lot of people who are not used to it. And so when people are scared of things and they're not used to them, unfortunately they do things that are heinous and sad and demented and people get hurt and it's really just a sad story. Yeah. And so basically, you know, I think it's in Manchester, they are classifying these kind of crimes and it's, it's verbal abuse all the way up to, you know, obviously physical abuse. Yep. They're classifying as a hate crime. So yeah. subculture hate crime. Yeah. So that's really where the importance of, that specific case comes up is that this is now a hate crime officially to discriminate against a subculture because really when you look at racism or any kind of discrimination what it boils down to is prejudice and people just 
being uninformed and acting ridiculous and yeah. inhuman. And people who are part of subcultures get picked on all the time and not just picked on. This is a perfect example of where they were killed. Yeah. Well, and, it was, um, I think the boyfriend survived, but yes. Yeah, yeah the boyfriend like survived, but still. still uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they even released those photos of them in the hospital and it was, it was hard to even accept that that was reality. And that should just never happen. And unfortunately, like there's going to be a lot of kids who go through high school who want to dress, you know, goth or, you know, maybe some other subculture that's, mm-hmm. you know, dark and yeah. involves something that's kind of strange outside of the norm and they're going to get beat up in school. Yeah. And we're officially making this a hate crime. So that's good. It's a good thing. It's a good hope, step forward. I hope it definitely gets more accepted, you know, as far as the United States goes. Yeah. And, I hope it transfers over here. Yeah. And so actually her mom, so Sylvie Lancaster, I think she has a great quote. I think she, she talks about this. She's been lobbying for this for ever. Yeah. And so she says very often, the they are seen as the perpetrators rather than the victims because of the way that they look, and a lot. And she talks about how the police force doesn't really take it very seriously mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, well, you know, just change your clothes or something like that. It's like, well, I mean, why should they have to? Yeah, that's it, like saying that you know, well, you could just stop being gay and people won't beat you up. Yeah, it's what you feel comfortable being. It's what you you know. It's how you feel you should be. Yeah, and yeah, like, like I mean. The whole gay thing is, is obviously a different subject because it's like gay genes and everything. Like, there's so much research on that. But I get what you're saying. Like, you could, if you were gay and they were like, oh, stop being gay, you know, go kiss a woman. You could go kiss a woman. You know, you could do it if, you, if it really came down to life or death. But, yeah. But you shouldn't have to feel that fear. You, no one should of, have to feel that fear, regardless of any circumstance. Like, yeah. And I think that this is a, a perfect example of kind of making steps towards saying, like, well, you know, hate doesn't come in. You know, skin colors, it doesn't come... I mean, you know, obviously it does, but, you know, it doesn't just come in these very defined packages, you know? Yep. A lot of people, obviously, race is, is a huge issue, especially in America. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's like, okay, you know, you can't do anything about being black, you know? Yep. But it's now it's becoming a thing where, you know, because we have opened our world up to all these different things, all these different subcultures, everything, it's like... And people just tend to look down upon them the fact that we're starting to accept that these are real issues you know where people are persecuted for a ton of different reasons that they wouldn't expect to be persecuted for you know for being themselves or you know being honest about who they are and just because some a-hole can't accept that and is probably in you know deep down wishes he could be like that or yeah wishes that he could be honest with himself you know i feel like he's probably been repressed for some reason you know, it lashes out at them. I think that it, this is a really, really great thing. Yeah, I think it's a huge step forward in social liberty. And I would really like to see this thing or see this law come to the United States. Unfortunately, I don't know that it will. It's, you know, I would say we have, we, we tend to have a similar thing in terms of like bullying. We but do. As but far as adults, yeah. we don't, like, we don't really have a lot of these kind of They're things. Not for adults. Like, yeah, I mean, bullying is. It's basically, um, I forget, there's like a, I forget who said it, but there was basically one of the newscasters who was talking about how we pass laws in America. And it's always like, always protect the kids, always protect the kids, always, because they're our future. And as soon as they become adults, it's like, well, who cares? Yep. Like, it's like, oh, well, why didn't you, you do this? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you're not conforming to our society. You know, like we shouldn't su- like support you. We shouldn't help you. Like it's all this stuff about like, 
about like that and like yeah i think i think children's like that's absolutely like the the great thing we should definitely live for is more benefits and helping kids learn more and educate everything but yeah it is one of those things where in america we just get to adulthood and it's like well that's it you know they don't even think about laws like that so i would love to see something like that just something that could recognize that there are alternative subcultures out there you know not everyone has the crew cut and polo shirts on all the time and if i want to live somewhere other than la you know like i want to not feel like i'm going to be stabbed yep so by some crazy guy who's um yeah has some idea so (laughs) it made me really happy you know to see this and that was such a tragic story i remember when that happened and it's just it was so brutal like the brutality of that and just the pure hatred of that crime i'm really glad they are still realize that that is a very serious thing that that is not acceptable yeah i completely agree and uh you know i hope that more laws like this are put in place in the future to mm-hmm. further protect subcultures yeah but- honestly i just hope that you know that too obviously but i just hope that it's taken seriously no that i think so yeah that's that's a huge concern Mm -hmm. is that there's probably going to be a lot of people who are like oh why are we wasting our tax dollars on this exactly like but people are going to be like oh you know like you said you know they could just change their clothes you just dress differently but that's the same thing as saying anything about anyone's lifestyle yeah because you're limiting someone's happiness mm-hmm. because you're not comfortable with it yeah you're living yeah exactly. you're limiting somebody's comfort and you could you could say that with religion you could say that with you know because it's a belief you have you like you know this is something you really believe has merit yeah and you know obviously i'm not gonna get in the whole religion debate about that but like it's just saying that you don't have the right to be comfortable because like it's not what somebody else wants and like a developed world yep. in developed countries that's just not how we say we are you know i'm sure that a lot of this the kind of bullying and hate crimes that happen against these people and a lot of adults are especially young people in their 20s who are regularly go out um and dress and are probably very active in a subculture are discriminated against and i feel like it's just very downplayed because it's just not taken very seriously. Yeah, well, and I think it it stops a lot of people from exploring these subcultures because, you know, someone might be interested in it, but they know they're going to be shunned because of it. Yeah, well, how many parents probably tried to stop their kids from dressing goth after the Sophie Lancaster murder? Yep. I mean, how many people... Well, how many parents have successfully kept their kids from dressing goth? Yeah, I guess it's true. And then there was, of course, the was it the West Memphis Three who they kept on saying goth murder madness and everything, yep. which was its whole own bag of worms. Yep. That is like, by the way, that isn't there a movie about that that's really good? I don't think I, I think I saw it like a hundred years ago. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just when these stories get more like newer publicity and you know they have a resolution like this, I think it's great. You know because. Like I said, whenever these things come out, like people are being attacked, specifically being a subculture, all a parent's going to do is try and make their kid look as normal as possible to not get picked on. Yep. Instead of addressing what the real issue is, is that there's somebody out there that is attacking people for looking different. Yeah. Which, at its root core, is prejudice the same as all others. Exactly. So, that was our main news story of the week, and it was really important to me to mention that. Yeah. Uh, we just felt that 
that was a really important thing to bring up. And to end on a slightly lighter note. Yeah. I saw Victor Frankenstein this week. Yeah, how was that? We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we mentioned this movie before. Um, and I will say the trailer is very misleading for this movie. Yeah? Uh, not a lot of one-liners in this movie. Oh, man. Uh, in fact, it's a very, very serious drama. Wow, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. I didn't and expect that. I didn't either. I went into it kind of expecting like a Sherlock Holmesian yeah. kind of movie. It definitely did not fit that. Weird. Yeah. They almost like cut the trailer to pull like every single one-liner together just <laughs> to make it look that way. What? That's so dumb. I completely agree. And... I think it was to the movie's disadvantage because I will say this. I didn't think this was a particularly great movie. Uh There was a lot of problems with it. For one, again, we have another retelling of the Frankenstein story, which is again, not Uh true to the book, which everyone's going to complain about forever. But you know, just leave that aside, leave it at the door. Mm -hmm. It's not even worth mentioning anymore. But at least Daniel Radcliffe's part in this movie, as he plays Igor, he's a very compelling character, mm-hmm. and you really feel a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah. And I've watched, you know, Daniel Radcliffe performances since, you know, his role in Harry Potter has ended, yeah. and I'm often overwhelmed by his Harry Potter persona, mm-hmm. and I really forgot that he was Harry Potter when I was watching this movie. And I will say that's one thing that this movie does have going for it. Is that it makes you forget that Daniel Radcliffe was Harry Potter. Yep. All right. You heard from from Robbie Gore. I mean, I might as well just put the tagline on the on the DVD cover for that. <laughs> it makes you forget that Daniel Radcliffe was Harry Potter. I just like seeing, you know, when an actor can transcend his typecast. Yeah. And I really felt like he was able to do that in this movie. And unfortunately, it's... a imperfect movie and it has a lot of flaws but i enjoyed daniel radcliffe's performance in this okay so sylvie lancaster and victor frankenstein yep so okay it's our new signal all right we're gonna be talking about wild mood swings now what an appropriately named album for (laughs) this type of music (laughs) yeah So, so this is the album that marks the departure of uh many beloved members of this band yeah yeah so we have simon gallup and robert smith are still in here they're pretty much the only like secured part of this band for yeah this album. and then we have jason cooper on drums and roger o'donnell's on keyboards now yep and we also lost paul thompson yeah so a lot of people will credit one of the things that lacks energy in their sound now is actually the switch to having jason cooper on drums and I kind of agree. <laughs> yeah, where it just wasn't as tight of a drum sound. Yeah, Boris Williams is just so good. Yeah, I really agree with that. And, you know, I've talked him up a lot. And whenever we discuss their older albums, I think he was awesome yeah. on drums. I think he was a perfect fit for their sound. I do think Jason Cooper, he just doesn't do it for me on this. I don't think that he's a bad drummer, but I feel like he's kind of a weird fit for The Cure. Yeah, I totally agree. And, of course, with Paul Thompson being gone, we definitely have a lack of guitar as like the main focus of yep. the songs. And what you have is, you know, you still have guitar, you have guitar solos actually. And so we talk about some of the songs, we'll yeah. talk about that. Well, they have, you know, Perry Bamonte who actually came out on the last album who plays some guitars on this yeah. album, but he also spends a lot of time playing a lot know, of six string bass and keyboards. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, this, um, I, you know, I really am conflicted on it because there's definitely some good material on here. That's exactly how I feel about this album. It pulled me in so many directions. Like, there's points where I really wanted to like it, and there's points where I was like, I don't know if I want to keep listening to this. Yeah, and... it was, this was, okay, <laughs> if you want to put a, a marker on where The Cure basically ended their streak of being, like, untouchable. Yeah. This was definitely it. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people didn't think that The Cure could release... You know, an album that wouldn't be at least successful as like a cult hit or wouldn't be, you know, loved by the fans. Because even though Wish came out and it did have its lashback because it was so popular, yep, it was still extremely loved by most fans. Yeah. And well, I mean, as much as this does mark their decline, it still sat number 12 on the US charts. Yeah. But it definitely was, most people were confused by this one. And I would agree. Yeah. I think it's definitely understandable. <laughs> I'll just start talking about the songs because it's actually kind of hard to actually describe this album unless you're describing the sound of it, yeah. which is... Vastly all, different from song to song. <laughs> yeah, it goes all over the place. You have basically like ska and reggae influences. You have classical influences. You have jazz and orchestral things mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of different sounds on this album. And it literally goes from song to song. So it kind of fakes you out in the beginning. So Want kind of sounds like it could be a classic Cure song. Right. And that was my first when that song came on. I was like, I don't know why people are talking so terribly about this album. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it just sounds like a classic Cure song. I yeah. mean, it has, definitely has that sound. <laughs> but then the next one, Club America. Oh, my God. Has like this screeching guitar solo. And, and it's just. Robert Smith is attempting like baritone vocals, which do not yeah, suit him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just really weird. And it does have like the sitar thing that they were doing for, you know, like tons yeah, of songs. But I know. It's, it's all this stuff combined into one and it just doesn't work. Well, it is followed by This Is A Lie. Maybe that's a little ah, hidden agenda. I see. I see what they did there. <laughs> it's it's just so weird. I don't even know how to describe how strange this stuff is. But when we get to the 13th. Which that is, is probably my favorite song. This, it's like the weirdest song. I know it is. That's it has why like, I like it. It has totally like a Hawaiian band sort of sound. Really? I almost see it as more like a mariachi kind of. Really? You yeah. see it as mariachi? I think of it more as like a Calypso kind of influence <laughs> thing. And I literally picture when I hear the song, you know how whenever it shows in movies, all the people in Hawaii like sitting at like the tiki restaurant? Yep. I literally picture like all the cure in like Hawaiian shirts up there playing that song on stage. <laughs> And Robert Smith going, yeah, that's Lou what I picture. And then, you know, like Margaret and Bob at the table going, oh, honey, I like them. You should buy that CD. I kind of like to see that happen. I would love to see that. Oh, man, I would love that. Where it's like somebody's just at Hawaii. And this, that should be the music video for this. Oh, man. Well, they pretty much, it's funny you should say that because actually the, the single off this one, Mint Car, yeah. it actually has a video where he's dressed kind of like Las Vegas-y. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know. By the way, the Mint Car, the, the single off this one, which was supposed to be like, you know, the takeaway. It's, supposed to, it's basically Friday I'm in Love, but more electric and more overtly happy. You know, this, yeah. literally the first line is, the sun is up. I'm so happy I could scream. Yep. There's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be. And in the video, he is basically like throwing his arms out. He's like, there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be. You know, it's just this really, really crazy gestures showing like, basically is a statement say like we're not the same cure we were you know we're evolving into all this stuff and it just doesn't work you know a lot of people were just so confused yeah it's funny because that's supposed to be like the more curie song on the album 
Yet, I almost find their Stranger songs to be more interesting on this album. Like the 13th, or personally, I have a strange attraction to the song Strange Attraction. Ah, I see. <laughs> Not going to say that it's one of their best songs, but as far as that? this album goes, it like, kept me interested. Well, okay, I'll actually say that about this album. is Although it's kind of like a train wreck <laughs> in, the, in its structure and stuff, like every single song is totally different. And it definitely doesn't seem to have any kind of direction. Oh, no. Other than that. Hey, let's I mean, try they let you know. Wild mood swings. This is a lie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, those kind of songs, you know, you want to listen to, like, what the heck are they come up with next? Yeah, that's kind of what kept me going with this. Is... That's just one of the problems I had, too. Especially, you know, with This Is a Lie, like, that song could be really good, but it's yeah, so repetitive. <laughs> like, it's so repetitive. It's four and a half minutes long. Yeah, I, I couldn't stand Yeah, This Is a Lie. <laughs> and so it's just... Like, that's one of the big issues with this is that even the stuff that's really good, it just goes on and it isn't developed enough. You know, they just were trying to develop more of this stuff. Like, the other single, Gone, right? Yep. That one, it feels like a very developed song. Yep. Like, they had a lot of time to kind of cut out the bits that didn't work. Well, it's got an exclamation point. Oh, okay. Sorry. I guess I didn't realize (laughs) that, you know, because it's gone, not gone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you have a lot of stuff that a lot of the fat could be cut and the song times are slimmed down a lot on this album yeah instead of it being like five to six minutes on most stuff it's about four to maybe five which still is pretty long for most songs but you don't have a ton of that multi-part kind of stuff you know what you hear in the beginning is probably what you're going to hear through most of the song yeah no (laughs) i would agree and well i think a major point to mention with this album is that so we have Gallup's departure for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And he's actually one of their key songwriters. He's often featured with co-writing credit on a lot of the songs mm-hmm. with Robert Smith. And we don't have that as much for this album. So. Yeah, he's technically credited with most of the songs, but you can definitely tell he's not as involved. Like, No, he's definitely not as involved. Like, Yeah, there's so many keyboards on this album, and it definitely takes the place of the more guitar-driven songs. Oh, definitely. And a lot of the bass for this is... There's keyboard melodies, and I think that's why not only do they sound very different is because, you know, you just change the setting on the keyboard and just have a different sound. Yeah. But I think it probably led them to do a lot more experimenting. No, definitely. This does really feel like an album where they just kind of played around with things, and I kind of feel like, especially because Simon Gallup left for a period of time because of his health problems, they were just kind of trying to keep things afloat. Yeah. If you don't have Portal Thompson either, so yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. So you, I'm not surprised that you move away from the instrument, but you have some stuff that does sound like what you would think the Cure would sound like. So Jupiter yep. Crash, I would think a lot of people would associate with that, and the closing track Bear. Yep, and even the song Treasure, I think, is close enough to that sound to where most yeah, people would, I, I would say, agree. yeah. But then. <laughs> you just have some weird stuff on here. In fact, uh, probably, round and round. Yeah, and I was just gonna. I was literally just gonna say that. So I don't know what they're thinking with this one. But it's literally just a song called "Round and Round and Round," and it just begins. It's like two and a half minutes. It just goes round and round and round and round. And it just <laughs> just doesn't make any sense to me that they why they would put that on the album. Wild mood swings, man. I guess so. He wasn't taking his pills. Yeah, and you know, numbs like a really sad kind of downtrodden sort of song and yeah well he wasn't treating his depression with lsd properly that's true it's a lot (laughs) lot different than their their previous albums but 
yeah, this album is basically it's hard. It's really hard not to talk about each song on this album because they're all so different. You know, yeah. You, like yeah, Strange Attraction. You have like sort of dancey song, and with Mint Car, you kind of have like the single driven song. Yep. And with Gone, you kind of have like a like reggae sort of. I don't know thing. what to call Gone. And <laughs> so it's just really, really different what you have coming out of this album. It's all just packaged as this very strange collection of them. There's not really a cohesive sound of yeah. this. And you don't have to have an album to suffer for that, right? Even Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me has that since then, where there's yeah. a whole bunch of different kind of stuff. Or and, Head on the Door is, you know, very much like all over the place, yeah. like switching back and forth between genres. and Yeah, so you can't you can have that. But I think that it just suffers as a whole. There's no cohesiveness to this album. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they were all worked on around the same time. It doesn't feel like the same people are on these songs. Yep. Lyrically, it's I feel a lot weaker than oh definitely yeah than what they've been doing. This doesn't feel like Robert Smith's lyrics to me. Like I mean, I, I know it probably is. It's just it just doesn't feel like the material I'm used to him writing. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the instrumentation just wasn't up. In fact, if I could say anything about this one, it really makes you feel like it's almost like a Robert Smith solo album. Yeah, kind and you of. know that that one album where the artist does something totally different. That's not like with the band's name on it. Yeah. You know, his vocals are pushed so far into this, like so, so far into the mix that you just feel like that that's a centerpiece where they were like, okay, you know, we have... This is Robert Smith, the band. <laughs> yeah. We basically have like all these songs that need to be linked somehow. So let's push the vocal melodies really high. Well, and it, you know, it kind of was Robert Smith, the band because they pretty much lost every founding member besides... Uh, well, Simon Gallup's. Yeah. Well, he's not a founding member. I mean, technically, he's, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. Simon Gallup's part of the traditional lineup. Yeah, and they even, you know, they lose him for a while. Like, yeah, on the top, but then lose him on this one too. Yeah. So this album is just weird. Like, yeah, it's something that you know when you hear like one or two songs off, you're like, oh, you know, I can't understand why people bash this one so much. But man, when you really sit down and listen to this one, it just doesn't stick with you the same way that the other albums do it doesn't have a defined sound it has an identity sort of in that it's trying to break out of the shell of what the cure was known for yeah but it just doesn't do it as well and that's really what the biggest issue with this one is is that it's trying something and not really succeeding yeah i'll say you know listening through this album in particular i just remember thinking this is a much easier album to listen to than perhaps a lot of other Cure albums. Mm-hmm. But I don't find myself enjoying it nearly as much. Exactly. <laughs> I I totally agree with that. And will I put maybe Gone onto a CD? Prob- uh, maybe. Maybe like a mix of The Cure. Would I, I would definitely include... Is it the 13th? Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, that's definitely going to be on my mix. I definitely include that one. Just because it's... So weird. And I'll always picture Robert Smith wearing a Hawaiian shirt and singing to me when I'm at a tiki bar. It just has like this bizarre appeal in the same way that Caterpillar had on top. It's totally true. <laughs> yep. And unfortunately, the single doesn't. You know, I, I really don't find myself thinking Mint Car is like a song I have to put on a lot. Like when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Mint Car is definitely not one of my favorite songs from this no album. Way. <laughs> so... That's all I have to say about Wild Mood Swings. It is just that. And they claim that it is, and it totally is. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's an odd release for them. And I just find it odd because 
Robert Smith's been asked about this album before, and he says despite the fact that he knows it's not one of their most popular albums and that it's not like a lot of their other albums, that he really likes this album. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's fine with me. <laughs> okay, so now we're on to Blood Flowers. Yep. This is what a lot of people see as the return of the cure to a more dark and sinister sound. Yeah. In fact, uh, Robert Smith coins this as the closing of his trilogy. Yeah. Which is pornography, disintegration, and blood flowers. Which I I personally don't see, but... I can kind of see what he's going for. I know what he's going for. I don't think it was successful. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I have a lot of mixed feelings on this album. Yeah. And it's really hard to say because I've met some people who love this album. I met some people who despise this album. Yep. And I'm actually kind of in the middle with this because I can see both sides. It's really hard to say. <laughs> so coming from Wild Mood Swings, this is definitely a return to the classic Cure sound. It is. It's definitely they're going back to their darker sound and you know moodier lyrics and mm-hmm. but it just doesn't feel it, very strong it lacks something for me like. it lacks an energy for me and that's what i find myself when i listen to this is it almost is a little boring yeah and it's hard to say that because lyrically this album is way stronger than wild mood swings musically this album is a lot better than some of wild mood swings yeah. i think it's like both a good return to their sound it's but it's less more, creative. It's more consistent in its absolutely, you know, in its production yeah. and its uh, arrangement. However, I feel like this album is just a little boring. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I have I, to agree with you. Yeah, on right that off the statement. bat, like, I just want to make it clear for this one that that yeah, while this is definitely what most people see as a return to their sound and to what they have been doing, you know, that they're the best at. Yep, it's almost so formulaic and it could just it almost lacks an energy you know i completely agree listening through this album it's again i would say another one of their very easy listens for me at least mm-hmm. but it was such an easy listen that i found myself kind of spacing out and being like oh what track am i on again yeah <laughs> exactly and that'll get to another problem that i'm going to talk about in a second but let's talk about some of the songs that uh you know we really like or anything that we have comments on so I want to say right off the bat that the title track on this, Out of This World, is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. And I really, really like the way it sounds. I like the lyrics. I like pretty much everything about this song. And I like that it takes a while to build up and get going. It is a good opening song. I will mm-hmm. say I think that's kind of one of the, like the interesting features about these albums we're talking about today is they all seem to open pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like they have, yeah. <laughs> they have like a good opening song that kind of like pulls you in mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm not sure what happens. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to bring up one of the biggest issues I have with some is the repetitiveness yep. and the similarities of most of the songs to one another. No, exactly. Uh, when I'm listening through this album, I really have to pay attention to the fact that the song changed because it almost feels like you could mix this as one giant Cure song. Yeah. In fact, I really feel that the last days of summer, last yep. day of summer, it actually really sounds like out of this world. Yep. And so it actually confuses me sometimes when I'm listening to it because they sound so similar to me that I'm like, oh, was I repeating this one? Yep. It is so weird 
I, yeah, I actually enjoyed There Is No If just because I felt like it was a little something different. Oh yeah, for the album. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that the song Blood Flowers is actually a pretty good song. No, like, that's a good I think, song. I think it's a it makes sense that they would name the album that. Yeah, based off of the song because it's pretty strong on its own. Yep. I'm so conflicted about this one because it's almost like giving the fans exactly what they want, right? Yeah. You're getting a more straightforward cure sound and you're getting that kind of ethereal you know kind of stronger lyrics you're getting this really guitar and keyboard oriented sound yeah it just really is missing something and it's so hard to put your finger on it unless you've like listened to it yeah it's a strange album and i will say this i do i cut them some slack with these albums simply because they've been around so long at this point when this album comes out they're like past the point where most bands should have died but instead they are coming into mainstream success at kind of the decline of their musical content and Mm -hmm. so i feel like they're kind of at a weird place receiving a lot of backlash from fans Mm -hmm. but they're receiving praise from critics yeah and so i feel like they're getting pulled in all these directions because mm-hmm. there's the fame and there's the fans and they don't know what to do and they're trying to please everybody and really i feel like they should have just made albums for themselves in this time yeah and unfortunately i don't feel like they did really yeah i can agree with that to some extent i can see that they wouldn't have made this album sound this way if they didn't have to kind of show it to millions of fans well i just think about like how many fans complained about the last album mm. and just them being like okay well we need to maybe return to some of our more gothic roots and yeah and that also makes sense because most of wild mood swings isn't even played after that tour for wild yep. mood swings like i totally could have seen most bands continuing on that path of like making like well this album was successful maybe we just need to try and make an album like you know, more in the direction of Wild Mood Swings. Yep. But they're one of the few bands who's like, okay, you know, let's take a step back and go back to what we were doing before. Yeah. And it sure enough paid off. I mean, Blood Flowers is a very successful album. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of people love it. A lot of people like it. You know, they played that concert where they played the trilogy. Oh, yeah, trilogy, of, yeah. Uh, you know. But yeah, I do <laughs> find a lot of fans who just are like, you know, this just doesn't have a weight to it. And unfortunately, I agree with that. You know, it, even the the most single, singly, if that's a word, <laughs> type yeah. of song is Maybe Someday. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's a good song. Yeah. It's a really good song. It's it is. five minutes long. <laughs> so, it, yeah. but it, it, you know, it holds its own. And I think they probably spent a lot of time developing it. In fact, the shortest song on this album is There Is No If. It's a good song. Yeah, it's it's a, a really acoustic guitar. In fact, a lot of acoustic guitars on this album. Yeah. Um, it just—I don't know what to say about it. It's hard to talk about an album that like isn't bad, but it's not super great. The songs for me tend to drag on way longer than they should. Yeah, and a lot of them just have very similar parts. I have to agree with you, and unfortunately, I think one of the fatal moves you can make as a band is not to make an album that's bizarre or that's really different, but to make an album that's forgettable. And yeah. for me, this is kind of a forgettable album. Yeah, I totally agree with that because this, yeah, it just is. Apart from maybe someday and out of this world, I don't really, and maybe Blood Flowers, I don't really remember much of this album, even though I've heard it an insane amount of times. Yep. In fact, this was like the album I used to put on all the time when I went to work. 
you know, because I just like the opening track and so yep. you, know, you just play that song and then you just listen to the rest of it, right? It just kind of sounds like a continuation of it. Yeah. And <laughs> it's it just, good. It's good driving music. It is good driving music, actually. <laughs> it really is. But it just doesn't do it for me. And even in the mixing department, I feel like since Wish, we've been getting worse mixing. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We get very 90s mixing, which yeah. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> with Wish, we had kind of that sort of sound because with disintegration it's much more like instrumentals with vocals yeah like if you could say that and when you get to wish you have the vocals in most songs pushed really 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 far forward yep even if he's like whispering or something like that it's just pushed way higher than anything else so you kind of have the instruments taking the back seat to that which is a kind of a new thing for the cures mixing because they've always been very evenly mixed as far yeah. as instruments and voice go exactly and so you always had like the pop of, yep. the, of the song and less about kind of the catchy melody and more about what everything together is catchy if that makes sense yeah but then with you know wish wild mood swings and it's like i feel especially bloodflowers the vocals are pushed so far forward in bloodflowers especially that it just like is overbearing and a lot of times it's a really kind of dry mix. Like there's not a ton of like, you know, what we've become accustomed to with The Cure. Yeah. It's a lot of like reverb heavy and kind of like maybe a little bit coursey yeah. kind of effect on the voice. It's a very, very sparse treatment to his vocals. And it just... It is. And even on songs I like, like There Is No If, it is a very dry kind of mix for that song. Yeah. And I just find that it doesn't work as well for them. And a lot of people really like a lush really layered cure sound and and i am one of those people i definitely agree with you it's just they've done so much material where they focus so much on what you can do with the studio they take complete advantage Mm -hmm. of technology and being able to push sound to its limits and that's kind of a lot of what you know gothic music is about in general Mm -hmm. and this album is very stripped away from that it totally is and you could say that that is beneficial to them musically to not do the same kind of treatment to what the music yeah but i just think it works better for their sound you know i would agree especially if they're trying to return to yeah a more gothic kind of sound which is mm-hmm. from their interviews kind of sounds like that's what they're trying to do yeah. why not use your traditional mixing yeah and i would say that actually a lot of classic bands start to do that as time goes on even when we did Bauhaus, yep. Go Away White, same kind of thing, right? Yep. You have a very produced, very kind of unique sound with their earlier albums. And then when they did Go Away White, it's just right up in your face. And it's yep. like, and it just kind of sounds like a garage band sometimes. And that is really unfortunate. And I get it. It's, we should clarify. We don't mean the program. Huh? huh? What's that? Mac joke. Oh. oh, yeah, it sounds like a garage <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a garage fan. Um, sounds like it was recorded with a garage fan. Um, but yeah, I just like I just don't like that sound for them, unfortunately. So I think maybe if they produced this album differently, I might have been a little bit easier on it. Yeah. But as it is, there's just a lot of issues here. And I, I was a big fan of this album for a while. And I just am not. Like, it just doesn't keep my interest as much as anything else does. I don't find myself falling in love with this album multiple times like I do with a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. For me personally, this was never an album that I really fell in love with ever. Mm -hmm. It was always just kind of an album that was like, okay, they put this out. It was like, and it's 
Cure-ish. Yeah. But do I really want to listen to this when there's so much other material? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Um. By the way, the album cover for this one is really bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is like a really bad Photoshop picture of Robert Smith. Yeah, and the art for Wild Mood Swing is kind of bad, too. You know, I like it better than... I like it better than this. I'll okay, say that. Yeah, there you go. All right, there you go. That's yeah. my point. So... But we have some interesting album art choices from uh, Wish Forward. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> kind of differentiating yourself. Yep. They've always had kind of strange album art, but this is where it starts to get to be like, okay. Right? Like, so, so, yeah, that's Blood Flowers. Um, give it a listen. See, I would like to hear somebody else's opinion on this because I know that there are people out there who just love this album. So I'd like to hear why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say just... Think about it outside of nostalgia. Because if I just thought about this album from nostalgia, I would just be like, okay, this is a great album. You know, like, this is perfectly fine. And at the time, you know, this this is definitely what they probably should have been doing is going back to their original sound. Yeah. If they weren't working with the other kind of genres that they were toying around with, I just think that they could have done it better. So yep. that's all I'd say on Blood Flowers. Okay, so now we're on to... The Cure. Yeah, so... Not the band, the no, album. The album, The Cure, <laughs> by The Cure, released in 2004. By The Cure. By The Cure. So, for The Cure. <laughs> the reason this album is called The Cure, in fact, there's supposed to be a reason for it, because they were asked, why would you do a self-titled album? At like, the end of your career. <laughs> not the end of your career, but you know, well, their, their 12th I mean, studio album. There's only one album that really comes after this. Yeah, I guess it's true, yeah. <laughs> 413 Dream, but yeah, so, so far we haven't gotten a new one. Yeah. Other than one, the one after this, but... This was called The Cure because Robert Smith felt that it really described them and was like the quintessential Cure album. He has a lot of interesting opinions, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so the one of the most important things to talk about with this album, and everyone has addressed it in the sound of this album, is the producer. Yeah. So Ross Robinson. And this is a producer who's very famous for producing the new metal sound so yeah bands like corn vanilla ice when he was new metal i guess limp biscuit slipknot yep uh glass jaw the so, blood brothers repeater sepultura yeah sepultura sorry but tomato tomato <laughs> a lot of people credit this album for kind of putting them into a new sound like a new way of producing their albums and a lot of people credit Ross Robinson for this, but apparently it was a nightmare working with him. You know, I've read a lot of interviews about this album when it was coming out, and yeah. Ross Robinson apparently would basically throw candles at them whenever they weren't like producing a sound they like, because they were like, he was saying like, oh, you know, you I think guys I like are, Ross Robinson. He's like, he's telling like you guys are all washed up. You know, I used to love you guys, and like you guys can't play anymore. So, so he would literally throw candles and he said he would throw candles at their vintage gear and like it would splash everywhere and of course there'd be candles in the studio i know right this is a gothic band yeah <laughs> and he said he's like yeah i probably threw like a hundred candles at them <laughs> I mean, of course there'd be a hundred candles <laughs> i know and um well this is also the first record that they release on geffen oh yeah uh yeah. is it wow i didn't know that yeah, and apparently there was some sort of record deal that they had with Ross Robinson, but I don't think that they actually ended up following up with that. Yeah, if you look at the label listing, it says I Am, and this is and this is yeah. Geffen. I could have sworn there was some contract where they were supposed to do more albums with him, but then I think 
for some reason they ended yeah, up it, not doing it. There, it was supposed to be released with the I Am label um, as a three album deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think that ever went through. No, it didn't because yeah. they kind of hated him. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the 413 Dream is not released on the I Am label. But no, it wasn't. Yeah, but then also he even just would apparently break down the band because he'd done this with tons of other artists where he would basically say somebody's writing a song about like takes the whiplash approach yeah basically yeah <laughs> he would bring up like if there was issues apparently when he's working with corn or, or some band he would say a song about like his father and his father's like really abusive he would basically want him to like relive it and basically break down crying and then sing yep. the song <laughs> and with the cure he basically was like you know screw you guys you know you suck or whatever and like uh you watch up hacks i think it was roger o'donnell's the keyboardist and apparently like one point he even like started crying and was really emotional about it and then he just was laughing at him yep. like maniacally and it's just this guy is just crazy so it was a very very different experience than what they've been doing <laughs> and that kind of stuff is crazy and just what they came out of it with i don't know if it was necessarily worth it i i don't think so <laughs> there are some benefits to this though there are definitely some benefits to this album that I think it does better than Bloodflowers. And I know it's crazy to say because I know a lot of people just... No, I would completely agree with you on that, actually. Oh, you do? I'm surprised. I'm really surprised by that one. Oh, uh, I think in a weird way, this is kind of... How much is this not part of the canon? It's kind of, in a strange way, a better album than Bloodflowers. I think it, in some ways it is. And I'm going to talk about why. And I think the biggest one is... The energy on this album is so much better. Oh, yeah. Way present. Yeah. Whereas Bloodflowers felt almost like phoned in in some parts. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, well, this is what this is supposed to sound like. You yeah. Because we're the cure. This one, because it is kind of departure from what they were doing, there's a lot less keyboards on this album. Yeah, like a ton. It's much more rock band driven. Yeah. And much more basic yep. than what they've been doing. And it is okay in terms of lyrical content and everything like that. But I I just really feel like this album is a lot more fun to listen to because they just feel like they're there. I would agree. And as horrible as Ross Robinson must have been to work with, I'm sure he probably uh, made them there, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that it's a big benefit on this album is... Just that they seem more excited about it. Yeah. And it does definitely call back to when they were making their earlier albums where they were more curious about their music and yep. maybe it wasn't so formulaic and they didn't know exactly what was going to work. Yeah. I definitely feel like this was an album that was much more made for them than it was for an audience or yeah. for a label or for... Well, that's probably why they stuck around. Yeah. I mean, honestly. So... <laughs> As far as songs from Salma, I actually really like the opening track. I know that that's probably a lot. That of seems work. to be like the universal like strand between these albums. They all have like great openings. Yeah, <laughs> this one I could see a lot of people hating this one. It's just because it's really repetitive and just. I could see a lot of people hating this album. Oh yeah, I guess that too. <laughs> but yeah, I have to agree with you. I kind of I like the opening song and I kind of enjoy listening to this album. Yeah, just because it's. I don't know. It feels like they're alive. Yeah. And also, of course, the end of the world 
is a <laughs> yep. great song. And actually, the video is awesome. Yep. And Alt End is totally cool, too. Alt End is definitely a good song. What a weird title, right? Right? I don't, I don't get it. They couldn't have just written alternate ending. Nope. <laughs> I think that the... It's funny. The, <laughs> the longer form stuff on this album, I don't think works as well. Just oh, because, definitely not. Well, because I, it's much more direct approach to making music. Yeah. I don't feel like you can write like long songs mm-hmm. with that straightforward of a you know kind of guitar driven yeah you know. it's really hard to say because this album definitely had a supremely different approach and you could tell the vocals like the vocal melodies and vocal lines are much more basic in fact oftentimes it just mimic the instrumentation yep you know like if if the guitar goes dun, 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 his vocals go his vocals will go go if you want to yep so it's definitely a different approach than what they were doing before and i think it does kind of work and not work in some ways no i i will say i like this album personally a little more than blood flowers just because mm-hmm. it kept my interest more yeah and there are some things on this album that work and some things that i appreciate about this album mm-hmm. but i will say this is definitely not their strongest album and one thing that I wanted to point out is that I really don't like the mixing on this album. I hate yeah. the mixing on this album. In fact, the only song that I really like the mixing on is, I think, the opening track. I think it's just because I like the song. But other than that, everything is so... Sounds like it was mixed by Ross Robinson. Yeah, exactly. Everything <laughs> com- like, seems like it's been compressed and... Everything's very compressed. Everything, the vocals and everything's very ornately spaced Mm -hmm. so that it like, I don't know. Every instrument weirdly feels like it sits apart from each other instead of blending, which I, I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand why they did it the way they did. And of course, because he probably thought that Cure's like a pop band, the vocals are insanely loud in the mix. Yep. I hate how... Like, if there's any album where that vocals are pushed forward, it's this one. Like, yeah. they're so far pushed forward. Yeah, and it does, I think, actually affect how, like, listenable this album is. Yep. There's definitely some good stuff on this record, but... Yeah, again, and this is almost kind of like the inverse of what I was saying before. This mm-hmm. is a almost less listenable album than the last few have been, mm-hmm. but perhaps a more interesting one. That is very confusing, but okay. <laughs> I think I get it, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just so hard because later in their career, these albums are, they're so conflicting to me because yep. I just find that there's a lot of really good material hidden in these releases, but. Yeah, I know. I almost kind of wish that they'd like taken maybe like a five-year hiatus and like taken these songs and sorted through the best of them and arranged them for like yeah. a proper record and yeah i i would agree with that actually if it kind of be like their big huge like return or something mm-hmm. but i mean you gotta even think about it there's like four four or five years between these albums and it's understandable yeah. that it would take them so long to even you know produce something but and they wouldn't want to produce the same thing this album, it's just, it's begging for something. It, and that Blood Flowers is, was begging for energy, for a burst of enthusiasm. This album is almost just begging for, one, somebody who could mix properly. Yeah, right. And <laughs> two, it just is begging for 
think a little more direction. I th- yeah, I think so. I think maybe just something that is like a lifeline to what they were doing. Yeah. And because this is just like really, like as much as they're experimenting with their sound here, it just is very basic. Yeah. And not in the way that, say, Three Imaginary Boards was basic. It's just that, again, the songs kind of sound similar. Mm hmm. <laughs> just like Blood Flowers, they kind of blend together a little bit more. I don't think it's as severe as that album. It's not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there are definitely distinct songs in here. It just doesn't speak to me like being like, this is like a totally great return to form. Like, Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I feel like we should probably mention the album art for this. Uh, the album art, which is <laughs> literally children's scribbles. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, Robert Smith's niece yeah, and nephews uh, who didn't know that their drawings were going to be used for this. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a really bad album art. It's 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 horrendous. <laughs> it looks like his niece drew a picture of him like hanging out with her or something, and then like gave it to him. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to use this as the album." Look. And he's like joking, but then like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, how did it end up on there?" But yep, I've actually seen. Is either this or Blood Flowers show up on like worst album art by <laughs> bands you know? Because you know, there's always yeah. like really bad album art by like some band you never heard of. But it is like things based on famous bands. Yep. And there was like this and like Black Sabbath's was like Born Again or something. It's like a really, really bad album art. Yeah. It's like the one with the little devil baby. And so like I always just remember that. I was like, like, oh, it's going to be funny. Like bands I know. I was like, oh my gosh, The Cure's in here. Because <laughs> it's like, like loose scribbles. Yep. Um, this is probably one of their worst album covers ever, if not the... <laughs> I don't know, man. Blood Flowers, I think, is really bad, but like this it is, is this but is... this is just like bizarre and mm, not in the good way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I agree. So all these albums have been very hard to talk about. They have. Wish was probably the easiest because it still is like a classic album. No, it, it still is, and I still love to listen to Wish. Yeah, and, and that definitely, I can see why a lot of people mark that as like the end of like the last album that was like the classic, classic Cure albums. Like if you do from like. I mean, you can include three imaginary boys if you want, but like 17 seconds to like wish, right? That's what that's, most people... That's kind of what I you yeah. know, consider. And so, yeah, it just seems like a lot of the albums, and we, even when we talk about 413 Dream, I just feel like it's kind of experimenting with stuff and trying to do something different, but not really capturing that energy or excitement for music that some of the earlier albums had. Even Wild Mood Swings has a lot of energy and seems yeah. like they're very excited to make that album even though it is a very very strange one no With, and uh, robert smith talks about how he loves wild moon swings yeah like, and then i feel like when we get to blood flowers it just kind of lacks enthusiasm yeah and with the cure <laughs> the cure the album the cure gosh why did he call it subtitle like 12th album subtitle. I don't know. <laughs> but with that one i just feel like there is a kind of instilled enthusiasm in that album but it just isn't as strong like in songwriting and yep. that's that's just kind of the issues that seem like every album that we've gotten after while well, moods well even after wish has its benefits and its drawbacks whereas you know when we we're doing disintegration and a lot of the earlier albums there weren't a ton of drawbacks it was mostly like songs that were like kind of not liking that much you know like it's yeah. like okay these even these songs that we don't like that much, the reason we don't like is because all these other songs are better. Yeah. With these ones, you're picking out the best songs. Yeah. You're like, these are the songs I like out of these songs that I think are okay. Pretty much. So 
and I'm sorry if that sounds really harsh, but it really is just with... I think we're just trying to be honest about these albums. Yeah. Because unfortunately, they really don't hold up with the canon of The Cure. Yeah, that's just really unfortunate. And like you said, if you were growing up with these ones, like if Blood Flowers was your first album, or if The Cure was your first album, I mean, a lot of people, if they're, I don't know, if they're teenagers or in their early 20s or something like that, it very well could have been their first Cure album. Yeah. It was The Cure. And that's not to detract from your love of this album, but... Yeah, we're trying to look at this objectively in terms of their whole career and... What they've accomplished and... Yeah, and these ones just don't seem to hold up as well. And that's really unfortunate. It really is. So, that's The Cure Part 3. Yeah, I think this is uh, this has been the hardest Cure review to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I have so much love for this band. Yeah, and, and then you don't want to say these things about Nars that you really love, but... I don't want to come on here and lie. We definitely could have come on here and just say, like, oh, Bloodflowers was a return to, like... The, the syn- trilogy. Yeah, it was the, the trilogy. Yeah. It was completely everything I ever wanted. You know, I definitely could have said that because if I was talking about, like, Out of This World or something like that, you know, that's a good song. Yep. And there are there's some good material on here, but it, it just doesn't hold up to me as much as any of their other albums before it. And I completely agree. So, besides the top. And three imaginary boys. <laughs> yeah, the the top is just an anomaly of itself. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a weird three one. imaginary boys. Like, it's weird, but it makes sense in the context of their yeah lineage. So, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm I'm glad that we didn't lie about it. I'm to appease people, but yeah. I still am very sorry, Robert Smith. We still love you very much. We do, and I'm sorry to any of you who like these albums or grew up with these albums and these are your favorite albums, but we're just trying to be objective here. Yeah. So this has been Gothcast episode 13. Yep. And just again, always got to plug the social media. We got a Facebook, Instagram, both called Gothcast, YouTube channel, Gothcast space video, our website, gothcastradio.com, no www. And we have a Gmail account gothcastradio at gmail.com you can reach us at any of those mediums and we're always happy to respond to questions or comments or requests and yep. we'd love to hear what you guys have to say okay and subscribe if you can because yeah. that would be awesome yeah, and all night interviews always love us yeah those are always nice yeah so i'm dr sanders and i'm robbie gore all right stay spooky